exploring the healing and culture building practices of embodied anti-racism. This is With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. Well, good afternoon, everyone, or good morning, or good evening, depending on when you're listening and where you're listening. Uh, it's is, I'm Reverend Kelly Isola, and uh, unfortunately today, my partner in crime and consciousness is, uh, is not with me. He uh, had something important he needed to take care of, so he's going to be listening to this another day as well, like so many people. Yet, I'm still just, as much as I miss him, I'm still really excited about today. And so welcome to With Love and Justice for All, where we have conversations around embodied anti-racism, dismantling oppression in all of its forms, particularly around the special challenges that arise as spiritual seekers and within spiritual communities. So if you would like to join us, if you want to join the conversation, you can call in um, at 816-251-3555, or you can send a message to us on Facebook or Instagram at Get Our Holy On. That's our handle, Get Our Holy On. And we're also live streaming to Facebook. So if you go to our Facebook, uh, if you're watching live now, you can see it Facebook Live. And whenever you wander back to Facebook, you can you can watch the video and listen into the conversation and comment then. Um, so we're just going to, I'm going to jump right in. Our topic today is uh, womanist theology, and I have a, a very, very special guest. To me, very, very special guest. And by the time, after a few minutes of listening to Bishop Yvette Flunder, you're going to say very special guest as well. Uh, and so we're going to talk about womanist theology, which um, really began, my understanding, uh, really began emerging in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the work of the um, of African American women theologians, church historians, sociologists um, of religion, um, biblical scholars, and that the term was coined by Alice Walker, a poet, a novelist, a, an activist, um, and where it was this definition that she called for uh, radical subjectivity, traditional communalism, redemptive self love, and critical engagement. So I think we're going to unpack those a little bit too. Um, but uh, so my guest today is, I think, is one of the most perfect people to uh, engage in this conversation um, and unpack that and and teach us a little bit and um, and really bring us closer to to the love of each other, the love of our neighbor, and what is this? What is what does it mean? And and um, why do we do this spiritual work together? Um, Dr. Reverend Dr. Yvette Flunder, she's served her call through prophetic action and ministry for justice for more than 30 years, and I'm going to guess probably even longer than that. Um, But she founded the City of Refuge United Church of Christ in 1991, um, where uniting a gospel ministry and a social justice ministry, so right up my alley. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, um, as well as uh, the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, which you can learn more about that at radicallyinclusive.org, radicallyinclusive.org. So I could read a whole lot of things um, from your bio, uh, but I don't want to go there. I want to hear from you. Um, I, I, um, so welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you, Reverend Kelly. And uh, and with those that are listening, the truth seekers, yes, uh, that are listening uh, with us and for us, and I'm so so pleased. You know, I'm a a new thought costal. You know, yeah, a metacostal. We call them metacostal. <laughs> a metacostal. I'm with that. <laughs> and sometimes methabaptocostal metacostal. There you go. Yes. A, there's a lot going on inside of me. So yeah. um, I am, however, thrilled and enjoying the journey. So it is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be with you today. So say that again, Metabetha, what? Methabaptocostal. Methabaptocostal. Yes. 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 It's each of those journeys. <laughs> I love that. I was raised, uh, I was raised Catholic. Okay. Uh, and what I, what I'm fascinated ab- about that is um, the number of people that I know that, uh, um, have so much baggage around it. And yeah. I don't, 
I, I, I had the benefit of being raised by some very progressive Catholics. Mm-hmm. And so what I got was really the sacred heart of the teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I didn't get what, um, and, you know, most of the baggage I think that people carry around, certainly, if, you know, being raised Catholic or other faith traditions is the social constructs, the mm-hmm. patriarchal social constructs put in yes. place. And, um, that's not the heart of the teachings. That's exactly right. So it, um, and I've heard you use the term, you know, some bad theology. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Um, absolutely. And you have to be able to know what is precious to keep and what needs to be jettisoned in order for you to really, uh, in order for for an individual, I believe to really understand and walk in the presence of the divine, in the ways in which it's intended, you know, um, that we don't have to be enemies to one another, and we certainly don't have to be enemies to God and good. So, you know, every, every faith path that I have ever experienced had a need to some degree to be the premier faith path, which, of course, means that someone else or something else has to be uh, deficient. Right. It just has to be. It can. There cannot be tall without short. Right. You know, there cannot be high without low. That is high is not high by itself. It's high in direct proportion to something else. So, so you have to designate a low in order for high to be high. I think it is the same way to some degree as it relates to the history of religion and faith. Uh, if I'm in it. And I've decided it's to cast me out. You know, this is the thing to be. Then that means everybody else is somehow deficient. And we are, and we are fundamentalists, even when we're trying not to be. That, right, right, right. When we think the fundamentalist is our biggest enemy and we're being the fundamentalist. And yes. being fundamentalist about the fundamentalist, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that's the way religion is. And, and yeah. it has been that way. And um, once you are superior, what has happened over time is it justifies um, diminishing. And to some degree, it is the justification probably for more bloodshed in the history of humankind uh, when you are God's or good's special group. Right. Then that enables you to um, perhaps eradicate those who are not. And eradication is not only bloodletting, it is also uh, the destruction of people's power and ability and and uh, equality, you know, it, it's it, that is the history right. of religion, and it, it remains, you know, well, we, it just remains in our in our societies all over the world. Well, mm-hmm. we we get kind of what what Ogan and I refer, you know, spiritually arrogant. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, and then we become intolerant of the intolerant. Yeah. We don't see the the insanity of being intolerant of the intolerant. And how is it different? I mean, you know, <laughs> at the I end don't know. Day, you know, and, and that's the question yeah. as it relates to the silos, as I call them. Mm-hmm. You know, just if, think of the earth is all of our earth, but it's just peppered with silos. Right. Where we are in our narrow space and grows taller and taller in our narrow space. But someone can be right next to us, and we can't perceive who they are because they're in a different silo. So, you know, you know, today is uh, International Golden Rule Day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's um, so talking about the silos and the, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and that you know being intolerant of the intolerant and how mm-hmm. we're treating each other and and mm-hmm. how religion and faith can be so so divisive when there's there's you know a majority of the world's population actually claims a particular faith or mm-hmm. religion you know for themselves um anyway absolutely and i think of it as uh, if we go back to alice walker's notion that she challenged to some degree the teachings of jim Cohn and others that were teaching Black liberation theology, which is, you know, up from slavery, essentially, even in our consciousness and in our expectations. But we weren't owning our patriarchy. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't we weren't owning as black people and particularly black men. We weren't we weren't owning uh, what I call good hair and bad hair. You know, essentially that mine qualifies as bad hair. OK, and, but then, but all of us who are people of African descent just about in the United States have sprinklings of European bloodlines or mm-hmm. in my case, um, Scottish and Irish and and uh, uh, Native American also, and a little bit of of uh, Igbo, well, a goodly portion of Igbo, um, African. So I'm sort of hodgepodge, you know, a little of this and a little of that. But what the point that I think that she was trying to say, and the point that I'm trying to say, is that uh, even when we talk about Black liberation theology and James Cone being to me the, the the stellar writer about this, there was an incredible amount of patriarchy. Yes. And the feeling was that, well, you know, we're equal, but our women are not equal to our men. And and she pushed back and said that we are not feminists, we are womanist. And by womanist, of course, we are suggesting that women should be treated equally. And of course, that was the was wasn't working out too good with the brothers during that time period. Women should be treated equally, but not singularly essentially we are not just about the concerns of women we are about uh the concerns of women as part of the concerns for the whole family and the whole community we don't want to alienate our men we don't want to alienate our same gender loving people we don't want to alienate our gender non-conforming people we don't want to alienate the straight-haired people from the nappy-haired people you know what we want to do is say that all are welcome at the table. That was the that was the concept of Dolores Williams, you know, uh, Katie Cannon, uh, Alice Walker, and many of our more recent writers. But then hear it again. When we are doing that in and around the, the discussion of being people of African descent, we are many different descents, even as a group as I said before, all in the same package, right? And and if our concern is focused primarily on the needs and issues of African descent, what do I do about my Scottish self or my Mm -hmm. Irish self or my my Native American self? Mm -hmm. I would have to, in some people's thinking, discard all of that in order to be an African-American which, which is a construct. It's kind of like white is a construct. Yeah. You know, white was English, Irish, you know what I mean? Uh, yep. You know, Scottish. European. European. And then it got over here and, and became a race, right? Right, right, <laughs> well, right. Was, you know, so so h- how do we then put our focus only on one experience without making it big enough to be inclusive? My baby grandson is 12, and when he is becomes a man uh, and has children, if he has children, by the time it gets that far along, many people of African descent will be sort of uh, cafe au lait kind of looking. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and then what does that mean? What is that race then mm. that is very much connected to both its European self or its Asian self? right? And it's African self. We will have mixed ourselves out of, of a definition. Right. And do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I do. That's, I, that's what humankind is doing. Right. right? Well, because I, I wrestle having and having a part of my lineage is, is indigenous. And yes. yet I've spent most of my life you know, white body. I mean, that's the, yeah. My, yeah. That's the world yeah. I've been in. That's where I've been socialized and you know, walking around in the, you know. Um, and religion is equally as problematic. You make a really good point. Because I see it as though religion needs to think of all of our institutions like a glass house. And by that, I mean, if penetrable, not just penetrable, but, but visible. Religion yeah. is full of secrets. And rituals and yes. and ditties, you know, we got more different kind of stuff. That if you're not born and raised in it, you just will say, "Why are we doing this? Why we got to dip 
Why we got to... Right. What's with all the sitting, standing, kneeling, and incense, this, yes. All of it. And if you don't get it right, you're in trouble. And they say, well, you must not, you must be new or something, because you obviously don't know how to clap right two and the four. Right. You're over here clapping on the one and the three. And we're right. just not going to have it. You you yeah. need some clap training. Right. So we, you can right. have a downbeat from an upbeat or something, you know. Yep. Those are traditions. And yeah. traditions get holified over time. And we start thinking them as though those traditions are close to the heart of, of God and good, simply because they are. So traditions, essentially. I I push for a a glass, a glass house in terms of our places of worship. And the reason I I have that metaphor in my mind is because not only does the rest of the world need to see in, but we need to see out. Yes, yes, we do. And it's one of my biggest challenges being a a religious leader, you know, being in clergy is that um, like I the being able to see out and I'm tired, I'm really tired and I'm happy to support people and do some healing work, but I get very, I get worked up. <laughs> yeah. My, my Italianness, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, New Yorker, Italian, you That's know, when someone says I'm a recovering fill in the blank, I'm like, yeah. ah, it just, cause what you've just done is denigrate however many people that that's their home. And that, but if you can see outside, you know, the glass, it, you know, the, the glass and see outside and there's no secret handshake you need when you walk in and, and, um, you know, and it's pretty, you know, I, I'll, I'll pick on unity and Ogan and I are, you know, yes. you, you can't, you change from the inside. I believe, you know, you, I can shift the system from within that the number of people I see will show up that, oh, we're supposed to stand in a circle and sing a particular song at the end, or this is mm-hmm. how we, but, but a new person doesn't know. And it takes a while to, you know, to get acclimated, not so much to God and good and spirit. That's not the complicated part. No, it's the way the people are managing those things and what they think about those things. And, and, you know, I was raised Pentecostal and we gave you about three weeks, you know, to get it together. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, honey, now, wait a minute. You know, if you're going to be over here in this. You are going to have to get this thing together. You start wearing the clothes. Yes. And saying yeah. things and giving honor to the who you're supposed to give honor to. And, yeah. and getting, yeah. you know, the words and the way. And then, then we were supposed to marry in that group and, and, and spend most of our time in that group and, and go on vacations with that, you know. Yeah, so, and, and have our children be together yes. in certain ways within that group yes. and not and with others. Intermarry. With other people's children who are also in the group. Yes. So that we can become, so we can bounce this stuff off constantly and reinforce. Yes. What it is that we believe is. And then then before you know it, there's particular movies to watch or not watch, particular books to read or not read, songs to sing or, you know, yes. And the church police, you know, the ones that, you know, and, and what are you, and, and I'm the same gender loving woman. And you know, Shirley and I have been together 38 years. And and we did that's not amazing. become that's a, wait a minute. I want to pause on that because that's amazing. 38 years is amazing. 38 years. I don't think I've done anything in my life for 50 years. <laughs> so I, well, I want to acknowledge and honor that and and thank you. It gives me great joy and hope and and yeah. So sorry for the detail. That's okay. I, just, I always want to celebrate when because it, it's I was married once, you yes. know, and I I um I was, uh, well, I'll come back to the, I wanted to say something about the, oh, please, um, go ahead. right. So let's come back to what you just said. Yeah. Um, but but we, we, were, your, we were together that we've been together that long because we wanted to be. Yes. That's, that's the other part of it. Yeah. But my, one of the things in, in, you know, in your bio that I didn't mention was, um, the, um, responding to the AIDS epidemic. Yes. Um, in in Oakland, California, yes. in San Francisco. Um, and the reason that piece touched me is that um, May 9th will be uh, 20 years since I lost my beloved to AIDS. Yes. So um, 
to so to be for 38 years i'm just in awe of that like we only had we didn't have 38 years but yes. i just but knowing how you traverse that and traverse that as a a clergy mm-hmm. you know um it's a whole different world and it's so that you know there's a list of of, of exiles mm. that i think inform me as a womanist um, because it kind of still goes back to what Alice was talking about. Um, Mother Alice, as I call her, what she was talking about, you know, there's so many places to be exiled, you know, yeah. exiled because of race, exiled because of gender, um, exiled, you know, because some other religion believes itself dominant to yours, you know, exiled, just exiled as the same gender loving person, and uh, in the, the let's compare the pandemic of AIDS mm. to the pandemic of COVID. And even though our response around COVID um, has not been up across the world, perhaps what it should have been, because it's been politicized in a number of different ways, um, the response is completely different mm-hmm. than the response, the poor response to HIV and AIDS. When I came into working with HIV and AIDS and people living with it, it was called GRID. Yeah. You know, it was a gay-related immune deficiency. And I, I, remember- I was in New York and you were in California. Yes. So we were yes. sort of in the... The hubs. The hubs, yes. yeah. You know, the, in the belly of the beast. Yeah. And when it appeared to people that it was primarily gay men, particularly... And people who are substance users, it was like, well, oh, hell, this, this, that's a group of people that we could let die and we'll all be better for it. Yep. And that was a lot of what was being preached in the churches from denomination to denomination. But it was also a political reality, you know, because people carry that stuff into politics. And that was a very real, real time and a lot of death. Yeah. And it is still a pandemic. And let's be really clear, perhaps not pandemic numbers in the United States, but we have abandoned the continent of Africa. Yes. Where it continues to be a pandemic for some of the same reasons. Essentially, these dying people really do not matter. Yep. In terms of the, you know, the thoughts. And so here we are with an existing pandemic responding to another pandemic. Greatest enemy to the previous pandemic was church and religion, greatest enemy to this one (laughs) in so many ways is the same thing. This whole thing that we do as a practitioner of faith, it frustrates me so that religion is an enemy to the people that we are called in so many, so many ways to both serve and serve with yeah. in the time in which we live. And that is yes. The, the, yes. the locus of what fires me up to do justice work. Yes. Amen. That is what makes me do it. <laughs> You're working me up. Yes. It's holy work to me. It is it holy is work. So that's, work. And that's our tagline for, for Ogan and I, when we've heard it's, we've been a year old, we started yes. project Sanctus a year ago. We both had been, you know, um doing other things he mostly was in churches i've worked with churches doing some mm-hmm. transitional work and and um you know the um and teaching in some seminaries right, and then right, we got right. together and project sanctus you know project holy um yes. and our tagline is uh get our holy on i like it um and it's and every time i say it and when i hear it and when i'm you know, when I'm taking care of our social media or whatever, when I type the words, let's get our holy on, or, you know, the tagline, get our holy on, I, I feel alive for every reason that you just said. And the reason that I consider myself a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth is because of the fact in so many ways that his intention was attacked almost from the beginning by the combination of religion and empire. Yes. He was anti in their thinking because he didn't 
fit in with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin as a keeper of the law in their opinion. And he also didn't fit with the usurpers of the Roman Empire. And frankly, they are the ones who they hated each other, but they conspired together to crucify him. That mm. was the plan. The plan was because this is the thing that I think about all the time. The people were responding to him. One of the texts says that the people were running after him and they decided we got to get together to do something about this guy because um, he's a problem. Okay. He's, he is, he's mess, and we don't like each other, but we together don't like right. him. Right. Right. And such is the truth. I think for every justice worker, it's Mahatma Gandhi, if it's Martin Luther King, if it's my sister, Reverend Kelly, no matter who it is, if you are doing the work of justice, it seems that you're going to run afoul of the power yeah. of religion and the power of politics or empire, whoever considers themselves the power du jour is yeah. the power that you're going to run into. It's really the truth. We have to go to a break. We'll pick up with the power du jour when we come back. You're listening to With Love and Justice for All um, with our guest, Bishop Yvette Flunder. You're listening to With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. Welcome back to With Love and Justice for All. I'm Reverend Kelly Isola, my partner in crime and consciousness. Reverend Ogan Holder is not able to be with us today. And I have the, um, the privilege of a very special guest, um, Reverend Dr. Um, Yvette Flunder, Bishop Flunder. And I'm not sure which title you prefer or how you, um, they so all I use work. them. I use them all. Yeah, they all work. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we're talking today about uh, womanist theology and, and we were talking about religion and, and the impact of religion and the importance of it and how it's been, for lack of a better term, often has been bastardized mm-hmm. and um, used as a weapon and mm-hmm. just, and want to also it make sure and have us I think we have some but the the power of it and the glory of it and why it is a good thing and it can be um but I wanted to uh to come back to the idea of womanist theology I mentioned at the beginning it's a it, it was a term coined by um you called her um mother Alice. walker yes mother Alice. Yeah. Yeah, Alice, Mother Alice. So Alice Walker, who was a poet, a novelist, a, an activist, um, brilliant woman, and she coined the the term womanist as a um, in terms of a black feminist or a feminist of color who is bold, who is assertive, who's you know um, relishes African American culture, is committed to to elevating and flourishing, and as you said, kind of close to the beginning is and beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to have I wanted to just come back to the definition. I want to make sure our because I know a lot of people are not familiar with the term. Mm-hmm. Certainly, white bodies. It is important again to to see a womanist theology, a womanist ecclesiology. Essentially, is to see the inclusion of the whole family. What needs to be done to make the family whole? Essentially. Um, and it moves beyond what was the uh, sort of patriarchal concepts of Black theology, which which still, to some degree, saw the role of women as home and hearth, you know, mm. and not as, you know, Angela Jackson, you know, um, uh, and people, women, uh, you know, with all sorts of degrees graduating from schools and women as leaders breaking glass ceilings all over the place, Uh, women as empowered and not thought of as only able to be in in a supportive role, uh, you know, almost closeted, if you know. Um, And there was was a a, a problem with that because that's a, a historical reality 
mm. for many women. And particularly, I would say, be, being an African-American woman, an African-American woman of faith, it was an expectation. So she was not, she was trying to differentiate between feminists who, who in some ways were jettison, were jettison men. You know, that wasn't the intention. The intention was that women would be empowered to walk alongside and, and help the entire family as, as job one, as the real intention. That was what, that was, and she still believes it just like that. So, <laughs> and as do I, yeah. I have had people, I lead in the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, a number of men uh, or folks who identify as male. And there's this sort of unspoken rule, and, and I can say this from the inside of the African-American community, that you you were sort of trained to push, if you had a man in your life, a, a husband, a, a lover, a father, a brother, you want to push them, and whatever they weren't able to do, women would do in the background. Essentially, I know preachers whose women uh, write their sermons for them. <laughs> And they don't tell anybody, you know, essentially um, so that he would flourish in some ways at your expense, but also at the expense of the community. Mm. Because if he didn't look good, if he didn't have a look good, you didn't have a look good. That was what basically was what was taught. And we were taught that coming along as women. And and essentially what Alice was saying was, uh uh-uh. And I I have found this to be true in leading men that I have said to them, so here is the goalpost. This is what we will consider the, the things that you need to do in order to be ordained, in order to be uh, in a certain position, in order to do a certain thing. And there is no gender here. It, this is the goalpost. This is what you would have to achieve in order to move to this. And we're not going to give you a free ride right. because of your anatomy, you know, <laughs> And because of your of your gender um, perception of yourself, that's not going to happen. We are not going to destroy you or diminish you, but we will level that playing field. Now, to me, that is gender freedom, male, female, a straight or gay, however we identify in terms of our gender, the strongest gender, or have, if we are somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Somewhere in between John Wayne and 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 you know, <laughs> you know, and and Marilyn Monroe or something like that. You know, yeah, I, I was know, trying to think of a woman to yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes swinging yeah. toward John Wayne, sometimes swinging toward Marilyn Monroe, depending on if we can find a way to let people just be people, yeah, and have their gifts and skills and not have expectations. Then we end what is essentially very much like slavery. When you come into the world already diminished, the mm. expectation is that you will at some point be in agreement with like a case system. You'll be in agreement with the fact that you are born lower. Women feel, feeling they were born lower, people of color right. feeling they were born lower, when in reality, that was the system that they were born into. When we, are, when we erase that, what happens is possibilities for everyone. And no one need be diminished. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, um, I, I, this is probably, <laughs> I don't know that I should bring this one up, but as you were talking, mm-hmm. I could, in my mind, I could see, of course, this made me crazy, but um, during the, the um, Supreme Court uh, confirmation hearings, I could, I could, I could see and hear mm-hmm. Lindsey Graham asking um, Judge um, yes, yes, yes. Jackson to, yes. uh, to rate her faith, you know, yes. is it a 10? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like what? Like, um, come on. And he's, he's talking to his constituency when he does. That. I know. I he's know. He's ready just... to run, you know, and, and you know, it's, it, and it falls into the same categories. What Oklahoma did this morning, deciding that they're going to try to pass a law that's going to get you put in jail for 10 years. If you have an abortion, you know, right. what, what, and I, and I have said time and again, um, th- why don't we talk about vasectomies? If we really do, you know, not want uh, more babies that if essentially, and, and or we don't want abortion. 
then how come nobody talks about? <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's another way to keep them having babies. You know, this. You know, yeah. Why, why does the burden fall on the woman in right. the way in which it does for someone else to decide whether or not her body, her body, will be right. a conduit? Right. If her life is not ready, and 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 if. And this is the thing that always blows my mind. If there is such a pushback against providing the money that it takes to take care of the already born children, a constant pushback from the same people that think you should have every baby that you're pregnant with, they don't have any intention of increasing the cost that it takes to raise a child. And then multiple children, who's going to jump in and go all the way through paying for their college education. Who's going to do that? Who's trying to make you be a baby making machine? And I have and I have said to people time and again, I'm a birth mother. So I understand this part of it. And and I've said to them, you know, you know, time and again, nothing in the world is worse than a child to be born into an atmosphere where they are unwanted. Right. So these are so these are the kinds of things that, you know, the topics that and the conversations that I think most religious leaders are the ones that I run into and certainly in in within the circles I'm in, the closer circles, aren't willing to have from the pulpit. That's That's exactly right. I'm really baffled by that because I'm not asking you to hear vote for this person, vote for that person. I'm asking you to turn on your brain. And yes. to really think about what does it really mean to love your neighbor? Yes. Like, what does it really mean to care for each other? What does it mean to get up off your affirmations? And, yes. and you know, justice, part of justice for me, in my definition of justice, is well-being. Yes. And so social justice yes. is the well-being of society, of our community. And how do you not, and it, and most people I know won't have the conversation from the pulpit, but I keep irritating them to Good do it for you. Me. And it's, yeah. it's a question of the micro and the macro. Essentially, yes. usually when people are, are, are talking to me about creating peace within me, you know, they, they are, I, I was, I was with one sister. In fact, I was at Unity Village um, I, in one of my visits and uh, we were talking about the children that got caught underground. If you remember, it was in the Philippines and the water levels were yes, rising and they were right. down in the cave. Yep. You remember that? Yep. And she's, and we were having a time of prayer and intention and um, lifting them up in our consciousness and in our time of prayer. And when we heard that they had been rescued, she, she rejoiced. She said, essentially, you know, we sent it out as intention. And um, sure enough, they all, all of them were rescued. And I said, and a bunch of guys got, went down there in those caves. And they brought those children out. And one of them died in the process. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to good that they're alive. But we cannot separate. Right. The fact that they're alive from the fact that somebody had to to really work really hard and almost die themselves. And in one case, died right. to bring them out. So I'm a, I'm a very strong proponent of intention and calming my own self down so that, I you know, I'm not worried. I'm not concerned. But simultaneously. What it does to a whole lot of people is make you think when you've intended all day right, that you are not also <laughs> responsible <laughs> to pick up a sign and put your Birkenstocks on and get out there and hit that parade at March and perhaps even put yourself in harm's way. Right. Why, yes. why can't the intention move to actualization? Yes. Essentially, put your, well, put your body in it. Well, we've got, we've created this spiritual bypass system of we use the word, you know, uh, um, you know, of realization, you know, to realize as though it's this head thing. It's all internal. And I'm like, no, to realize something means make it real, yes. which means whatever you got and going on in here, get it out. Like, yes. let me see. How would I know 
by watching you that you do love your neighbor? How would I know by watching you that you, um, you know, uh, are anti-racist? How would I know by watching you that you're not anti-LGBTQ? Right. How I, For most people, I wouldn't know by watching you. That's right. And somebody has got to not like you. Oh, yes. If you're doing the work properly. Yes. Ogan and if I are very clear that. Everybody likes you. You're in trouble. So right. Ogan and I are very clear that <laughs> we're getting hate mail. We're doing a good job. Oh, you own it. You're spot on. That's right. You've got to be able to speak truth to power and yes. feel power resisting you and angry with you and disgusted. And if everybody is kumbaya on you, I can I can just about tell you that it that you 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 know just a, a bowl of grits. You know what I mean? With with nothing in it, <laughs> you know, without without flavor, you know. Yeah. Because it it is about. I want to go back to again to why I am a disciple of the man from Nazareth. Why I follow that pattern. Because the healing, the calling the children come to me and forbid them not, surrounding himself with children for of such is the kingdom of God. That's beautiful. But this is the same guy that tied up his underwear and went through the temple and flipped over the tables <laughs> because the, because the, the, the loan sharks were ripping the people off, you know, because yeah. they were turning religion into an enterprise to make money at the expense of the fact that the people needed something to believe in these yep. occupied people. And it made him mad. So, so which so which Jesus is your Jesus? Is the, the table flipping Jesus? Or the suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not? And I have said to people, you know, it works for me on both sides of this conversation. Right. There is a kindness and a tenderness and a loving and an embracing that we need from the divine. Let me make an I statement that I need. I need to be in communion with what I believe to be divine presence. Personally, privately, I sing to myself. I pray often alone because that connection is very important to me. But at the same time, my intention also needs praxis. Yes. And that means you might go to jail or you might get... People are going to call you and, and send you hate mail and yes. put stuff in the chat. Right now they're doing it. And yes. we just thank, we thank God and good for you because it does let us know yep. <laughs> that we are on the right path. You know, as, as womanists, as womanists, as people of color, or people of many descents, you know, as people who are, who believe in the holy and understand the profane simultaneously. We, yes. are, we are called, I believe, courageously to such a time as this. Will you, will, you, will you die for it? You know, it may be. It just might happen. I, I mean, I, I would be right. in the process of dying, probably not terribly surprised. Right. <laughs> well, that's the... The piece that, you know, in that definition of critical engagement. Yes, yes. I think that's that what that's what that is, is that the um, the critical engagement is um, um, means exactly that, you know, to to engage, not just not just to where, okay now I'm uncomfortable, so I'm going to stop. Yeah. You know, but but now like so because when we do that. And and what I remind people is, okay, so that's as far as you're willing to go for humanity. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. As long as we're clear. Mm-hmm. I can see where you're just, I'm only willing to go here because now it's uncomfortable. And I, I can't tell you how many um, people I've heard, uh, leaders, pastors, ministers, we're not, you know, we want to, this anti-racist work and, and um, you know, human rights work yeah. the critical engagement the social activist you know whatever label you want to put use for it but engaging with the community around the tough issues it's too hard we're going to go back to celebrating 
Yes, yes. You know, a safe place. Let me find a safe place, a safe harbor. And um, you know, and I have said to people too, I said, well then fine, send us some money. Right. <laughs> you know, so yeah. yeah, if if you need to be safe, if you need to be under the umbrella uh covering such that none of this rains on you, if that is your you know, then send us something and help us do what we do. You know, we're not gonna we, we won't send it back to you. You know, right. we, we will definitely utilize it to do the work that we are called to do. But I think that it becomes holy when it means enough for people to actually put their skin in the game. Yeah. Put, right. put yourself in harm's way. I, I laid down in a casket during the early years of AIDS. Lay down on the freeway. Yes. And people yeah. wondered, so why would you do something like that? That's because I've, I have held the hands of people dying. Mm-hmm. Sometimes three or four in a week. I have more than 150 obituaries and eulogies and funeral programs in a file. And these were the ones that I was able to attend. Right. I have seen death. I've seen it come in the room. I've seen that moment over and over and over and over again. I don't fear it. I have no apprehension about it. I have seen it that many times, like being in a war zone. So if that is the work that I am called to do. And if that was what got me understanding that I couldn't find people to join with me in that, in church, we had to create a church. We had to found a church and then look for organizations to connect to because we were not going to give that work up. And to this day, we have not given that work with all the housing that we've done, all the food services that we've done, the work that we do in the United States and on the continent of Africa, parts of Asia, Mexico, it's got the same beginning. We had to put something, we had to put some skin in this physically. Right. Yes. To join ourselves with the people who suffer so that we could feel empathy, not sympathy. Right. So that we could feel empathy. That's oh, and then and and then compassion be, is not the feeling; it's your activity. Yes, it's that it's the you know that term that Alice Walker used of you know redemptive self love. Absolutely, I think is is while it says self love, I think redemptive self love yep. is moving outside of me. I say it this way: free people, free people. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and um, free, people. free people. Yeah. So that's the, so what you're referring to is, and we didn't, I didn't, I think I might've mentioned at the beginning is the fellowship of affirming ministries. So say a little bit, say a little, tell me a little bit more about, we have about four or five minutes, um, Mm -hmm. a little bit more about what is that fellowship? Well, we are a fellowship of churches and faith-based organizations and also um, organizations that do justice work in all sorts of places in the world. And we came together because we we couldn't find anything to connect to. (laughs) So we connected to each other. Uh, We have have an open and affirming reality. We have a teaching that we call the 12 steps of radical inclusivity. What does that look like, right? To overcome our own internal prejudices and such. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have churches in every region of the United States and faith-based organizations. And then we're in Ghana, Kenya, Rwanda, South Africa, moving into doing some work in Haiti, Panama, Mexico, and parts of Asia, you know? Mm. And I think it is important to say that the, the, the premise of, the, of TFAM, the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, is, of course, to support um, faith-based organizations and churches that have it as their mantra, their teaching that we are inclusive and that all are welcome. That's an important part of it. And living that out. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, there's, I know a lot of churches that we have a core value of inclusivity. I'm like, have you actually taken a look? Do you really mean that? (laughs) Well, I can tell you that broadness often uh, is the first cousin to uh, leanness also. 
So when, when you start talking about radical inclusivity, it can sometimes make your congregation lean, especially if you start really living yeah. it out. Yes. Because, because people like, a, you know, church is a private social group. Yeah. You know, if, like I said, I clap on the two and the four for the most part. And if I'm in the company of people who clap on the one and the three, something kind of happens to my consciousness for a minute. It's like, wait a minute, somebody's clapping on the one and the three. And I don't say it out loud. It's because of the way that I ha- was raised. Right. If you understand what I'm saying? It's the, it's the way that my ear hears music and hears rhythm, right? right. And so when we start talking about radical inclusivity, that means that all the claps are going to be there at the same time. And you, know, wait, you, understand, you understand what I'm saying? I, I do. It's one of the reasons I actually... Several years back, years back, I I really jettisoned the term like-minded. Yes. Um, Because I, while it's that intent and impact thing that, you know, good, good, well-meaning white folks, their intention is, well, you know, we're all included, but don't, without realizing that the impact of saying like-minded is exclusion, you're excluding. Because I think differently. And we, and we are what we have experienced essentially yes. you know are you i've said it many times you you don't come into chitlins late in life you know if you, you're raised on chitlins you may have a palate for chitlins or not or not but you can't explain t- to people that if you're going to be a part of us you've got to have a chit every now and then it's just that they didn't do chitlins but then you know i don't do kimchi you know and i don't right. do haggis you know and i don't do blood sausage and i don't you know it's a lot of stuff it's like honey really are you gonna eat that is that no tell me the truth right. and you know please you don't expect me to eat that. yeah so, but but sometimes we gather around those things yeah which will make us appear to be what is the word i'm looking for um boxed in to a certain definition, but it's a social construct. It is not a spiritual or a, right. it ought not be a religious construct, but churches right. are us in, in so many ways talking faith while simultaneously it's a social club. It's a social yeah. club of people who are like-minded and they all basically have had chitlins if that's, that's what they've done, yes. <laughs> you know, and whatever the thing is, I'm not saying that that is wrong. What I am saying is that let's not make a religion out of that and suggest that because we think that way, we are superior to people who eat kimchi. So I have to, I have to bring us to a close. We've run out of time, but you understand what I got. I I'm with you. I totally will talk again. We have to have another time together. So thank you, Bishop Yvette Flinder. Um, You're listening to With Love and Justice for All. Thank you very much for your time today. My joy. Blessings.